Welcome to the Incan of Immunity podcast. Um, Chris isn't with us today, so you're with Becky and Mike. Um, and today we are joined by Dr. Alexandra Zeidenberg, who is a postdoctoral researcher at McGill University in Montreal. She has a background in research focused primarily in forensic psychology, having completed her undergraduate degree in forensic psychology at Ontario Tech, followed by a master's in experimental psychology at Laurentian University, and then a PhD in applied social psychology at the University of Saskatchewan. Did I get that right? Almost. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so she's relatively new to tattoo and research because our research usually focuses on forensic topics such as sexual violence, multiple perpetrator sexual offences, children with concern and sexual behaviour, zoophilia and bestiality. And outside of academics, Dr. Zeidenberg is an avid cross-stitcher and enjoys watching horror movies with her cat. So today we're going to talk to Dr. Zeidenberg about her recent publication, which is focused on perceptions of tattooed psychologists so welcome to the Incan of Immunity podcast it's so good to have you here <laughs> thank you for having me this is actually my first podcast so I'm very excited about it oh good oh it's so cool um well we don't have many psychologists on the show usually so this is something that I feel like I can really get to grips with um <laughs> normally I'm just sitting there going I don't really know what's happening um <laughs> but it's very interesting so you have such a varied background in psychology here. What led you through, obviously, this really interesting forensic area? And then you're into some tattooing research with, with a recent publication called No Regrets. And I, lo- I love that tattoo as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we definitely capitalized on the meme there. Definitely. So I have quite a bit of background in forensic psychology, mostly focusing on sexual offending. My dissertation focused on zoophilia and bestiality. So really completely different from this tattooing research. And this tattooing research is also in clinical psychology, which is a little bit different from my background. But this was just actually a bit of a fun side project that a friend and I thought up and decided to work on. And uh, it's something that I can talk with my mom a little bit more about. (laughs) She's less scared of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. The the stigma is wearing off a little bit with tattoos. So that's nice. For sure. I guess even if if the stigma was still there, I guess she might be a bit relieved if it's not it's not bestiality yeah. and zoophilia. So. There's less yeah, stigma so with tattoos than <laughs> with the sexual offending, probably. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so I was just really intrigued about how how you got into it as a side project. Do you have like a general interest in tattooing, or was it just something that kind of popped up? So I do have a general interest in tattooing. I have my own tattoos as well and definitely have my own fears about what is and is not acceptable as a professional, even though I'm not a clinical psychologist. Um, But this research really came about in a fun way as well. I'm not a clinical psychologist, but I'm friends with a lot of clinical psychology trainees at the University of Saskatchewan. Um, who now some of them are in their residency or who have passed our like our certification exams and things like that. Um, but we were all sitting around 
uh, table having some some tacos one time and just kind of talking about what is and what is not acceptable for them as clinical psychologists. And a lot of people brought up fears about dyeing their hair, fears about having tattoos, um, fears about having piercings. And being a researcher, uh, while we're sitting around having our tacos, I'm on my phone on Google Scholar looking up whether there was actually any evidence about whether or not you could have visible tattoos and what the impacts of that would be. And I found that there was really no research on the topic. And all the research that did exist was looking at psychologists and what they think of their peers, which is slightly different than what potential clients would think. Um, so over tacos and drinks and just a conversation, this research idea was born. And actually, everybody who was at the dinner table with us, they're all acknowledged on the publication as helping come up with this idea. Oh, that's amazing. That's just oh, that's such a nice way for, for a paper to ultimately start, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's like a it was like a movie moment yeah. where like I feel like that's how research works in movies, but not always in real life. <laughs> You've got that experience now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think tacos and drinks would be a great name for a writing group or a, 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 a brainstorming group. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> So, so you just you kind of answered the question of how the paper came about. Um, I'm interested before we kind of dive a little bit deeper into the paper. I'm interested in your experience as a as a tattooed researcher, how you've been perceived, or how how do you perceive your tattoos in the workplace? Uh, most of my tattoos are on my legs, so I would say they're not often visible, and especially over Zoom, um, <laughs> you can't tell that I'm wearing pajama pants or that I have tattoos. Um, but uh, back when there were more in-person things, I attended conferences and wore dresses and skirts where they were visible, and I would say for the most part, they didn't really impact how people saw me, but I'm also a younger woman who interacts with a lot of other younger people. So there might just be yeah. some differences in who's perceiving me. But for me in particular, I haven't had many experiences where I've been told to cover up my tattoos. But I know from other peers, um, they have had those experiences or people have told them that they're not going to be perceived professionally. Um, I think maybe I've just been a little bit lucky not to have had that suggested to me yeah yeah I've had a couple of those as well <laughs> yeah so if I move on just a bit more about how you did the study then sure. um so obviously I've read the paper but in case any of our listeners who haven't read the paper could you just kind of give us a, an abridged version sure so we recruited participants online and they were shown one of three profiles. So all of the description of our psychologist was the same, but the profiles differed on um, what picture was shown. So they were shown a picture either of a fictitious psychologist who had no tattoo, who had a neutral element tattoo, which was a flower, or a uh, provocative tattoo, uh, which was a skull. And it was all located on um, our model's upper arm. And then once they saw that profile, they filled out a series of questions about their perceived competency um, for this 
psychologist, as well as some of their feelings towards the psychologist. And we also had a couple questions about how much they would pay for a session, if they would recommend the psychologist to a friend, if they would consider going to that psychologist. And then we had some demographics at the end. So it was a fairly simple setup and kind of a classic experimental setup. Just lovely, lovely, simple, but effective which I loved. So how did you decide which tattoos to do for the neutral stimuli and the provocative one? This is just out of my own personal interest. (laughs) Yes. So it was a bit of a a difficult choice because there's not a lot of research or or really backing on what is provocative and what's neutral. So we went a bit with our professional judgment, as well as some of the information from those studies that were done with the psychologists themselves. Um, So they had some information about the types of tattoos most commonly seen on psychologists. So we used that information along with our professional judgment to decide what was more neutral and what was more provocative. Um, But in the paper, I do bring up that what we chose as provocative really is quite tame compared to what could be considered provocative. We were just kind of doing the best with what we had. I, I think I think it's great that you chose those things because this is something that I've been stuck on in the past. You see some some of the older papers and they'll they'll use something like a little star or a little symbol or something and you're like, yes, but that's also quite dated. And I think there's a confound there when you're looking at perceptions because it, it moves on so quickly. So your paper, that's just another bonus because now we have something that we can refer to and go, look. And yes, it's not it's not something that's hugely provocative as in, you know bordering on offensive but it's a really good distinction because you could have another variable in there another level of the variable where you've got something that's offensive I guess rather than provocative but you made a really clear case I think in the paper that why this could be considered as more provocative and why the flower could be considered as quite neutral. Thank you I appreciate that we also did want to pick something that would kind of stay on that test of time and I think flowers are a pretty popular motif as well as skulls I don't think those are really kind of going anywhere in the next five to ten years at least <laughs> totally agree they're, they're a staying point absolutely sorry sorry Mike I told you I was going to get off topic on this one <laughs> no this is good Becky this is this is your wheelhouse here it's it, like and I, and I want to echo what Becky said earlier it, it is nice to have a psychologist and to get these, these different perspectives as, a, as an anthropologist working mostly with anthropologists it's always nice to branch out and work and collaborate across disciplines so I found your paper really interesting and we're actually doing a sort of a psychology experiment in our lab here at the University of Alabama, um, looking at perceptions of health of people with tattoos on the head, face, or neck. So it was really informative reading your paper, and it gave me a lot of good ideas. It's also going to be an online survey, so we're going to push that out and and see what what we find out. That sounds really interesting, and I'm I'm excited to read that whenever it comes out. Oh, definitely. I would love to to talk more with you about that. For sure. Yeah. So speaking about finding things out, what were your main findings from your study? Sure. So what we found was actually a little bit surprising, but we found that the psychologist with the provocative tattoo was perceived as being competent, um, as well as more likable, more confident, and a lot of other positives. And for the most part, there was no difference between the no tattoo and the neutral element tattoo condition. So really it was similar to not having a tattoo at all. Um, 
but I think it really went against the conventional wisdom and our hypotheses that the psychologists with those provocative tattoos or tattoos in general would be perceived more negatively. Yeah, it was one of those times where it's nice to to be proven wrong, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) So you said that the provocative tattoo was rated a little bit more positively, especially than you would have thought. But it was also associated with more competence in in forensic psychology um, and also a psychologist that would be more suited to work with adults Mm -hmm. rather than children. So did you think about that at all? Like, does that still show some sort of underlying stigma around this sort of provocative type of tattoo? I don't know if it's necessarily stigma as much as kind of that association with tattoos and prisons or crime and things like that. Um, And that does come up in the literature about the psychologist's views of themselves as well. Um, For many psychologists who work in forensic settings, they found that tattoos Um, And having tattoos was a great talking point and something that they had in common with their clients. So I don't know if it's necessarily a stigma. It might, it might be, (laughs) but there's definitely still an association with tattoos and crime and um, some ideas about perhaps who has tattoos. And in terms of working with adults, um, that one might be a bit more of a stigma or um, a desire not to have them badly influence the children to go out and get tattoos or something like that. But it's something that I think we'll have to explore a little bit more. And I know um, on Twitter, because this project, I posted about it on my Twitter and it got a lot of attention. Um, And people were talking specifically about not just their clients' perceptions of them, but if they do work with children, the parents' perceptions of them, which might be different from the child themselves. So I think that's a really rich area for further exploration. And something I've been thinking about a little bit more, um, most of my work does focus on adults, although I do a little bit of research with children as well. But it's really something that hadn't occurred to me until I put it out on Twitter and, and people were answering back with their own experiences. I think that's a really good shout, you know, and you mentioned at the beginning about um, how you you haven't really experienced any negativity yourself and whether it was about, you know, being younger and the younger colleagues as well. And, you know, we do see that there's, I guess, potentially um, a generational effect on on views of, of stigma around tattooing and things like that, sort of bring in the parents' perceptions of, you know, a psychologist who's potentially working with their child and whether they have tattoos or not I mean that's one thing that I've been told before I was told somewhere when I was working and I had to go out to see students that I had to cover up my tattoos because I didn't want to influence the parents negatively yeah for sure and like personally I don't really understand why having tattoos would make someone less competent at their job but it's definitely a view that's out there and that is an important consideration for our results as well. Our participants were mostly young um, and they were mostly female. So there might be some differences that we weren't capturing if we had that older sample. And that is something that we do want to look at in the future. But as it stands and given our current research, there doesn't seem to be as much stigma in that younger group for sure. That's really good. And I noticed one of your findings, it said that the picture with the provocative tattoo was rated as more likable than the one who didn't have any tattoo. Yeah. And that was really interesting. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Honestly, when we saw those results, we, we ran them again because they were really not 
what we were expecting and we wanted to make sure that we had everything right, which we did. Um, we ran them a couple times just to be sure. But we don't fully know the mechanism as to why. Um, personally, I think it's about authenticity and openness. So for psychologists, I think it's a really unique relationship with clients where you have to be ready to really spill all your secrets and talk about some potentially difficult things for you as a person. So I think seeing your psychologist as a person who has that openness and authenticity about them is something that might encourage a stronger relationship and more positive views. You know, I, I find that a really interesting point. Um, I had a student a few years ago who was, she used to be a nurse and she had been told that she had to cover up because it would put patients off and things like that. And she she obviously took exception to it. And she did a, she did a master's with us and she was looking at perceptions of tattooed nurses. <laughs> and um, we did like a regression analysis on it so to see about, um, I think we looked to see whether various personality traits predicted the amount of coverage somebody had so it was when we were we were trying to estimate the percentage of it and we found that machiavellianism negatively predicted percentage of coverage which i thought was so interesting and i, th- I was thinking is it about authenticity you know having that kind of um you know the ability to just be who you are and not to kind of hide behind anything and you know that kind of thing and then once i looked down into it a bit more it turned out it was just the data from one person that was driving the results so i couldn't take it any further and i was really disappointed but i thought that was like it makes logical sense and i know that's something that i've always thought i really love to go and test that stuff yeah and most of our results we do compare to health professionals because that's what's the that's what's out there the research that's available but i do think there's an important distinction between health professionals and mental health professionals and i think it's just a little bit of a different relationship i know i was telling my partner's parents about the study and the results and they were saying that there are some views about tattoos and maybe people being a little bit more aggressive if they have tattoos so if you saw your dentist with an arm full of tattoos like a full sleeve you might be a little bit more scared that perhaps they mm-hmm. they're going to be like a a bit more aggressive but if you have a psychologist who has a, a sleeve full of tattoos, you don't have that same fear just because it's a bit of a different relationship. Yeah, it really brings into question this whole idea of what is competence and what is professionalism, and specifically with this, with your work in the mental health field. But I think it's something that would be good to see broadened out into the healthcare arena in general, just trying to develop that patient-provider relationship. I thought it was so interesting that the provocative tattoo was kind of a talking point and, and it helped kind of foster that therapeutic bond between the, the clinician and the patient. And that's something that you talk about too in your discussion is this idea of professionalism and what the future could look like for the field. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit more. For sure. So I would say right now, There's a lot of conversations starting about professionalism in the field of mental health and what our ideas of professionalism are based on and kind of why. So there's a really great paper um, that actually also has a great title. It's uh, Pink Hair Don't Care. Um, And they really kind of think through what professionalism is, is and what it's based on. So they talk about how 
we think about kind of like business clothing and really the people who have access to those business clothes are people with more financial means and really does it matter if your psychologist is wearing a t-shirt or a suit jacket in terms of their ability to provide you with the service that you're going to them for? Not really, but we just view certain things as more professional and other things as less professional. Um, So I think having these conversations is really important for the field of mental health and for professionalism just more generally, because I think it opens up a conversation about who's been excluded from that idea of professionalism. And unfortunately, it's a lot of marginalized people. So I think our paper adds to this discussion because for a lot of communities, having tattoos is part of their culture. As well, there's been a lot of ideas about tattoos as self-care in many communities. So I think that really contributes to it as well. So not only are there certain cultures like um, Maori individuals who have traditional chin tattoos, um, other indigenous cultures that have tattoos, as well as certain communities who have tattoos. So I'm pretty sure we cite a paper about um, gender minorities and how a lot of the time they use tattoos as self-care or that's what our research has told us at least. Um, So I think if we view tattoos as unprofessional, just kind of as a blanket. Those are people who are left out of the conversation and who are left out as being seen as professional. So I think having these conversations is important and having a research base to actually back up your claims is important as well, because there are all these claims about how we should cover up tattoos as mental health professionals based on other professionals' views. But when Uh, we did our research and we looked at what potential clients think they actually don't really care. So maybe we've been excluding people based on absolutely nothing other than our own thoughts. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a really interesting point as well. And it's something that I'm personally really interested in. And we've explored a little bit in the podcast in the past about where these negative perceptions ever even originated from. And I think your research really is the start of being able to say like, look, we were right. It's based on nothing. That's not there. You know, people have these ideas and assumptions with no basis. And here we go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we we talked about that with Matt Lauder about why people started associating tattoos with, I guess, lower classes and um, looking unfavorably on people with tattoos, even though it started as quite an upper class thing. So yeah, I I think it's just... It's, it's all a misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and I, and I really appreciate, even though your, like you said, your sample was mostly young white women, I really appreciated your, your call for bringing in marginalized people and having more diversity in this body of research, which is really needed, especially as you pointed out, there are many indigenous cultures that use tattooing as a part of their identity for health and well-being. And I think that's also a big reason why these stereotypes came about in the first place. You know, colonists uh, yeah. <laughs> coming in and, and, and deeming these practices uh, not fit for Christian religion or, or whatever it may be. Um, so I think it's, it's really important to have that, like you said, 
build that body of research that we can refer to and, and move forward with. Thank you. Yes, coming from Canada, I'm definitely aware of our colonial history and um, I don't have the backing to fully say that it's based on anti-Indigenous views, but I, I would definitely think that they play some role in, in the negative associations with tattoos. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I should say, I, I don't have that backing either. It's just a, more of a personal opinion. But. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, so we, we can explore those too. This is a podcast. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the paper, you, you discussed the need to consider different types of tattoos and, and tattoos with different content. We've talked about neutral or provocative, but what can we think about in terms of tattoo content and how can we incorporate that into research? For sure. So one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is tattoos with religious symbols in them, or like scripture and things like that, because I think they're kind of their own unique area of tattooing. And they have like a a bit of a different connotation, perhaps than other types of tattoos. So I think it would be really interesting to look at those as well. Another area that I've been seeing some growth in just from my own um, kind of exploration on uh, following tattoo professionals on on Instagram is uh, memorial tattoos. I think Mm -hmm. more and more people from what I've been seeing have been getting memorial tattoos. And it's, I think, similar to how historically people have uh, mourned loved ones with like mourning jewelry and, and things like that just on their skin now. So I think that's an interesting avenue as well because again i think those are kind of their own little category of tattoo and perhaps have different connotations or different perceptions than some other types of tattoos so i think those will be two interesting areas to look at um in terms of broader trends uh, i've definitely seen more older people getting tattoos so someone i follow on twitter was just asking if um, it was appropriate to get their first tattoo after the age of 40. And it was an overwhelmingly <laughs> positive response. So I think perhaps attitudes are changing about who has tattoos or who can get tattoos. So I think that'll be something interesting to take a look at in the future. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm really interested in, in what you were saying about the memorial tattoos. Personally, my biggest, uh, the biggest piece that I have is a, is a memorial tattoo. And when we're talking about mental health, it would be really interesting to explore that in greater detail and see how these tattoos can actually aid in the grieving process and, and healing from loss. But have you have you seen as well, um, sometimes now people are able to get the ashes of, of a dead loved one tattooed in, it mixed in yeah. with the ink. I have seen that a little. I think I find memorial tattoos really interesting in general. As you've pointed out, they're I think a really interesting way to kind of process a loss. Um, And I think we've done similar things in the past, as I said, with like jewelry made from people's hair and and things like that. But a tattoo, I think it's like, it's on your body. It's, it's, I mean, it's a little bit painful to go through as well. So I think there could be something unique there. Um, and I actually do know of a researcher at Memorial University in Newfoundland, who it, which is also in Canada, just in case people don't know, <laughs> um, <laughs> who is looking at memorial tattoos. And I think that'll be a really interesting and, and fruitful avenue for research. That's very interesting. 
Definitely. And and they're at Memorial University. That's yeah. <laughs> that's that's great. That's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> So coming back to the idea of being genuine with tattoos and obviously the distinction between, I guess, a physical health professional and a mental health professional and, you know, how this this could potentially have the impact leading to a greater bond development between the client and the practitioner. And I know that obviously your study was quite exploratory because there is no research about this. Yeah. <laughs> But could you tell us a little bit more about why we need that greater degree of, I guess, openness in, in that kind of a setting? For sure. So, again, I'm I'm not a clinical professional, so I've never had to kind of develop those therapeutic bonds. But that openness and having that level of trust is, is quite important from my understanding. So I think having such a bold representation of that authenticity and that openness on the psychologist's skin is perhaps a really good indicator that they're willing to have those open conversations. They're willing to develop that trust. Um, I think one of our findings was that they are less lazy um, as well, which I guess having to sit through like a whole tattoo session and go out and do that perhaps is also a bit evident on their skin as well. But I think perhaps it's a signal that the professional is willing to kind of go out of the the boxes that we put people in and um, perhaps willing to go against some norms. So if you yourself are feeling like you don't fit in, like you're having certain struggles, perhaps it's a, a signal that it's okay to tell this person things that are a little bit more challenging, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, it, it feels to me a bit like um, wearing your heart on your sleeve almost, yeah. you know, coming back to a little bit what we were talking about before about professionalism and um, the idea of the things that we stereotypically think of as professionals, such as, you know, business suits and things like that, to me feels almost like a mask, like something that you're hiding behind a front. Whereas if you see your psychologist come in with, you know, a t-shirt on and some tattoos out, it's not necessarily a lack of professionalism, but not hiding behind this mask of a, a construction of professionalism. It's something where we go, this is just me, you know? Yeah, for sure. And everything I'm guessing about this relationship is also speculation because we, I mean, we weren't expecting these results, so we didn't really test. Um, but I think an interesting next step would be to have some qualitative research and ask people what they think about and really get at their their views of it. Because I think I think you could be right. I think having those tattoos displayed shows an openness that perhaps having um, more of that professionalism or that mask of professionalism doesn't show. So I think it'd be really interesting to ask people about their views and really get into the heart of it. And it would be interesting to include the clinicians in this as well, because as you point out in the paper, a lot of psychiatrists or clinical psychologists seem to negatively perceive themselves if they have tattoos just based on this. And maybe it has something to do with this idea of professionalism and fitting in or fitting in the right way. For so sure. it'd be, it would be really interesting to see both of the, the sides of that relationship and how they think about these things. Yeah. Yes. 
I mean, you know, reading reading your paper just for the first time in ages just inspired us to to want to do research again. <laughs> what about you? What what's next for you? Where where does your research take you next? So for this particular project, I'm working on some follow up research that will look at more. Um, I guess cultural diversity. We we want to add in some visible minority models to see kind of what happens there, as well as some other types of professionals. And one thing that I would very much like to do, but I don't have anything currently started, is to recruit an older sample and just kind of repeat this. Because I think it's worth exploring. There could be some some important differences in there. Um, and Tattoo research is not at all what my postdoc is in. So this is all research I'm doing kind of off the side of my desk. So um, <laughs> <I> love it. <laughs> it's a little bit more slow going than if it was my main area of research. But I definitely have some things on the horizon. So um, sounds awesome. Maybe I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Yes, please do. I love that. <laughs> Well, this was great, and we would we would love to have you back on and, and talk more about your work when you get these new studies up and going. Whenever you have time, I'm sure, and you're very busy scheduled to do <laughs> research on the side, you know? For sure. <laughs> yeah, I really love talking about um, this research. I think this paper is really fun, and I'm glad it has inspired a, a lot of interest in the topic and brought back some some joy to research I guess Um, (laughs) but I think it has some really important implications as well and we've gotten a lot of feedback from from mostly other clinicians on Twitter saying that they're going to bring it to their boss or their mom or whoever to kind of show that there is no basis for this perceived lack of professionalism so I'm glad it's made some impact as well. That's great and I think that is a great place to end but before we go you mentioned you shared your project on Twitter when you were doing it. So how can people get in touch with you or follow you if they're interested in this and want to want to learn more? Sure. So my Twitter is at Lexi, L-E-X-I underscore M underscore Z. Um, I'm quite active on Twitter, so you can always find me there. I also have a ResearchGate profile that has my email address listed. Um, it is my first name dot last name at usask.ca which is usask.ca or at mcgill.ca which is mcgill and if you just google my name a lot of stuff pops up you can definitely find me and i'm always happy to discuss this research or or ongoing research um, and I do hope to be back whenever <laughs> things happen so that 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 definitely will happen well thanks so much for sharing And it was really great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me today. I really enjoyed talking with you. So thank you. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, Bye. everyone. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We're on Twitter at inking underscore immunity and on Instagram and Facebook at inking dot of dot immunity. The hosts of the show are Dr. Chris Lynn and Mike Smetana at the University of Alabama and Dr. Becky Owens at UK Sunderland. Kira Yancey is the production manager. Thanks to the University of Alabama Anthropology Department for helping make this show possible. You can find our full, unedited Season 2 interviews on our Facebook page or watch them happening live on Facebook most Wednesday mornings. See you next time.